There it is, everyone. It's your Golden State, Los Angeles. All different neighborhoods shown there. Those glorious beaches filled with tents and needles. The small businesses ruined because there's now encampments in front of them. And the poor children who have to walk by it daily and who should never have to. Welcome to Hollywood Sports Mom. I'm going to go on a little bit of a rant today. It's a rant, but it's also a story. It's my story of my experience moving to L.A. I'm a New Yorker, as many of you know, and I moved to L.A. in 2009. I needed a break. I needed a break from the cold New York winters, and I figured if I don't like it, I can go back home. No big deal. So I got a job transfer. Everything seemed better in Southern California in 2009. And by the way, it was. <laughs> Santa Monica wasn't without its, you know, petty crime. Um, there were definitely some homeless folks, but they were harmless. Um, it was paradise. My friends would visit from New York and say, oh my gosh, this looks like Honolulu. And it did. And unfortunately, that paradise is lost. When our apartment flooded twice in Santa Monica, because Santa Monica has a lot of old buildings, we moved downtown. And downtown LA was the new hotspot. It was so hyped up. It was going to be the new hotspot of LA. Developers were coming in, building shops, building buildings and everything. But you know, the funny thing was, not one block of downtown LA ever made me feel safe. And I'm a city girl, okay? I can deal, you know, I have street smarts. I can deal with a city. But this was unlike any other. Downtown LA, there is a, a huge number of homeless folks and they approach you. They're aggressive. They follow you. That didn't necessarily happen to me back in New York. Um, so it was new for me. And I found myself scared to even leave our beautiful new condo in downtown LA. Um, I was almost a prisoner in our home because I wouldn't walk out there even during the daytime. It just didn't feel, it didn't feel safe. And, you know, downtown LA is kind of perplexing. Like people had hoped for this big renaissance, but unfortunately it's held captive by an area called Skid Row. That's been there forever. I think since the seventies, eighties. Um, but any, basically it's a half mile radius and it's home to thousands, thousands of homeless people, most of whom are drug addicts. And I happened to stumble upon it one time with a friend from New York who was visiting, and she's from originally Brooklyn, so she's seen a lot in her life. We happened to drive through there because we kind of lost track of where we were. And she said, get me out of here right now. It's legit third world country. It's scary. It is miles, blocks of tents and crime and drug dealing. So downtown LA, no matter how much they tried to do this renaissance and this beautiful change with all these new shops and everything else will always be held captive by that skid row area because when you're in downtown LA you're always just two or three blocks from a meth or a heroin or a fentanyl fix. So by November 2014 California voters had decided on a new ballot initiative. It was called Prop 47. And the argument for Prop 47 was that it would change nonviolent crimes, such as drug possession or petty theft. It would change them from felonies to being misdemeanors, which on the surface sounds pretty fair. You know, the guy or girl who got caught selling marijuana when they were 18 maybe shouldn't be in jail for 20 years. 
So on the surface, it sounded great. Um, and it would also apparently save hundreds of millions of dollars. And those funds would be used to then fund schools and provide mental health and drug treatment. Sounds all jiffy, right? Well, that all sounded great until law enforcement and prosecutors and crime victims countered with, and I quote, Prop 47 will potentially release 10,000 felons from prison. This prop will also reduce penalties for possession of date rape drugs and for stealing guns. Yes, date rape drugs and stealing guns. But those facts aside, what tends to happen in La La Land is that clueless celebrities started to stand up and fight. Vote yes for Prop 47. You know, people like Rosario Dawson and John Legend and Susan Sarandon, who, by the way, none of them at the time in 2014 lived in California. They lived in New York and they're fighting for Prop 47 in California because they wouldn't need to deal with the ramifications. Not surprisingly, 60% of the voters chose those uneducated celebrities over the pleas of California law enforcement and crime victims. And Prop 47 passed. For the next couple years, over 10,000 felons would be released from California prisons. Getting back to my reclusive lifestyle stuck in my beautiful condo in downtown LA, I started to like feel suffocated. I started to say, my goodness, like it dawned on me. I moved west for sunshine and beautiful, you know, beach air. And here I was trapped in a home in downtown, even though the home itself was beautiful, I couldn't leave it. So it dawned on me one day that Beverly Hills was just about, I don't know, seven miles away up the road. And I said, okay, you know, I, I can kind of get in my car every day safely and just go there and make that my little stomping ground. They, there was this great strip, you know, South Beverly Boulevard with banks and coffee shops and restaurants and clothing stores and everything you need. So I would start to go there every day. And I went into my coffee shop uh, one day and, you know, there's these comfy seats over to the side that everyone wants to sit in. And I looked at one, I'm like, ooh, one of the good seats is available and I want to work. So that would be a good seat to get. But then I saw this guy sitting two seats away and he, you know, kind of raised my awareness a little bit. But then, of course, what tends to happen, especially when you're in California, is the PC police took over. And I kind of yelled at myself. I said, Carol, don't judge him. You know, he looks like a grungy guitar guy. Like, how do you know? Maybe he's in a band and he just has showered for a couple of days. So, of course, I went against my human gut instinct and I went and I sat two seats away. So there were four seats along this wall and there was grungy guitar guy, a businessman working on his laptop, me, and then another businessman on the side of me. And it didn't take but for a couple minutes for grungy guitar guy to start shouting crazy stuff. You know, he was saying stuff like, stop following me. Who are you? Go away. You know, and and when something like that happens and you know that there's a mentally unstable person in your presence, what tends to happen is all these strangers who are in the spot kind of, we all look up at each other and give each other a look, like a knowing look of, okay, this person's a little unstable, but, you know, everyone's aware and let's just see how this goes. Um, so after some further yelling, guitar guy quickly stood up in front of me and the two businessmen on either side of me and whipped out a long knife. And he said, are you ready to go to the ER? Because today's the day you're going to die. And he pinned the three of us up against this wall 
and started pacing in front of us with this long blade out. So it's interesting because sitting there, I could, I could feel <laughs> the anxiety off the two men next to me on either side. But when you're in a scenario like this, I think human instinct takes over and we all ignored it. So he's pacing in front of us with this huge blade telling us we're going to die. And I was just on my phone, like, well, nothing's wrong. Cause I felt like, and every bit of me knew if I looked up at him and looked at him in the face, he was so mentally unstable. He'd probably take it as a sign of defiance and fully come at me. And so the two business guys were typing away, but I could sense their anxiety. I'm sitting there on my phone and I start to have these thoughts. I'm like, oh my gosh, what's going to happen right now? You know, as your heart's pounding, I'm like, is he going to, you know, come after me? Because I'm the only one without a laptop in front of me that could act as a potential shield for a knife. Is he going to come after me because I'm a woman? And I mean, physically, I'm just the weakest. So I'm the easiest target. Am I going to get stabbed today? Um, am I going to watch one of these guys die today and get stabbed? Or am I going to die? These are all the thoughts that run through your head in that minute. I mean, lo and behold, about three minutes later, the Beverly Hills Police Department stormed through the door, guns out, and saved our lives that day. And, you know, what started as a normal Tuesday at 10 a.m., just a normal Tuesday of going to work at a coffee shop, just, you know, totally went, I don't know, into complete turmoil um, and left me completely drained. So, you know, two police interviews later, I stumbled out of there and I got to my car and I called my husband. And, you know, you're going on adrenaline. You're like, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh, guess what just happened? And then just hearing my husband's voice and the adrenaline subsided, I just started sobbing. And I was angry. And I said, where the hell are we? Like, what? What are we living in? I lived in New York for 15 years and I was never held by knife point. I'm in Beverly Hills. How did I almost just die or just be held by knife point? This is insane. Where are we? And I said to him, if you don't find me the safest place to live in Los Angeles, I will move back east because this shit didn't happen there. So it was interesting because when the police, you know, interviewed me, they asked one specific question and they asked it like twice. They said, at any point, did you fear for your life? And I said, yes, absolutely. I feared for my life. Not only feared for my life, but I feared for the lives of, you know, the men on either side of me. Um, but the interesting thing is I never received a follow-up from anybody. I never got a phone call from, you know, police department. I never got a phone call from a DA's office. And the reason why is because this was May 2015, and that lovely Prop 47 had just gone into effect. It was voted on the November before in the elections. So technically, crazy, grungy guitar guy, he didn't hurt anyone. Technically, he didn't commit a violent crime. So what does that mean? He gets off, and he's back out on the streets to do it to someone else. So... Yeah, a guy menacing with a long blade and telling them they were going to die was no longer a big deal. This was Mayor Eric Garcetti's new L.A. beginning in 2015. So within a couple months, my husband kept his promise and said, OK, we're going to move down to Manhattan Beach. And Manhattan Beach is a beautiful suburb in, you know, the southern part of Los Angeles County. 
And it's funny because we got there and the residents would hear of my tale and they'd kind of joke and call me the refugee from Beverly Hills. Um, and I went from being this shut-in in my condo downtown to beautiful sunsets along the beach and exercising every night along the beach and watching the sunsets. And it just, it finally felt like we were home. You know, everything was great about Manhattan Beach. And then within a year of living there, the 2016 election rolled around. And this time there was a new prop on the ballot and it was called Prop 57. And it was kind of the sister of Prop 47, but it was much more terrible. And California state leaders pushed it by telling the voters that the prop would give, quote, juvenile young people and nonviolent criminals another chance. And it would also save tens of millions of taxpayer dollars. So doesn't that sound nice? We're going to save the kids, basically. But then those against Prop 57 came out and said, hold tight. You're not reading the way the California Penal Code was written, and for some reason, what's defined as a nonviolent crime. So that said, Section 667.5 of the California Penal Code says that Prop 57, if passed, would also allow the early release of, brace yourself, violent criminals, including those who committed rape of an rape of an unconscious victim, rape by intoxication, human trafficking involving sex, a sex act with minors, drive-by shootings, domestic violence involving trauma, attempting to explode a bomb at a hospital or school, not joking, or failing to register as a sex offender, and more. That's just the tip of the iceberg. The prop was absolutely dangerous and misleading and would take away all the rights of the citizens and the victims and give more rights to criminals. I could not imagine anyone in their right mind voting for Prop 57. I couldn't understand how anyone would think that was a good idea. But I soon began to realize that in California, the same place where any dream can come true, <laughs> the unimaginable could also come true. Because Prop 57 passed with 64% of the vote. And it's interesting because shortly after that election in November, on New Year's Eve, December 31st, 2016, the headline across the front of the LA Times said, violent crime in LA is up for the third year in a row. Shocker. So with Prop 57 soon to go into effect in the new year, those of us with any inkling of common sense knew that L.A. was on a fast road to hell. And it's interesting because the one um, element that sort of helped open people's eyes was the beginning of the, the neighborhood apps, like the Nextdoor app. And I know we all have a love-hate relationship with them. I know I do. I'm kicked off all the time for being mouthy. However. The thing the Nextdoor apps did was just showed the truth. I mean, people would start posting all the break-ins happening from their home security cameras, the break-ins, the crime. They would start saying, I was followed by a guy with a knife in the CVS in Manhattan Beach. I mean, the truth was exposed. 
There wasn't, you know, media that could hide it. There wasn't a police department if they wanted to hide it. The truth was there on the next door app. And we started to see this all over Manhattan Beach, which was once this bucolic, perfect little paradise. So, you know, homes in Manhattan Beach, it's a glamorous suburb. They range from 2 million to the 20 millions, okay? And vehicle break-ins skyrocketed. And then one night, and this is just one night because there were plenty of nights I could talk about, but one night there was a home heist that involved five felons. And most of our town woke up at 3 a.m., to blaring announcements from helicopters flying above who were also beaming lights down into our yards and sirens because they were in search of the suspects. And it truly felt like being in some sort of a war zone with the noise, the helicopters, the announcements. And my one friend texted me and he said, I'm sitting here on the balcony of my $3 million home and I have my rifle in hand because if they're suspects on the loose and they come anywhere near my property, I'm going to shoot them dead. This is life in Manhattan Beach now. So the homeless encampments also started popping up and finding their way to Manhattan Beach, too. They popped up right outside of Manhattan Beach City Hall. They're still there. They popped up outside the Bank of America, the Wells Fargo, all the general places, you know, you would go to run your daily errands. One day I even went to the Manhattan Beach shopping mall, a beautiful place, and had to deal with a meth head running in front of my car, scratching his scabs and threatening me and the cars around me. Okay, that's just a day at the mall in Manhattan Beach. And then, as if it couldn't get more worse, then came the sexual assaults. Because remember, we've let all these awful tens of thousands of the worst felons out of prison. The first sexual assault in Manhattan Beach involved a female walking to her car in a pretty, you know, popular area um, on a Saturday night around 1 a.m. And she was sexually assaulted before she escaped to freedom and got to her car. Another one, which is one of the hardest ones for me to digest, involved three 16-year-old girls. They were walking on a Saturday night at 9 o'clock, like 16-year-old teenagers should be able to do. They were in the wealthiest part of town, only to have a sick sexual deviant jump them, one of the girls from behind. There's three of them walking, but this disgustingly savage pervert could not control his urges and decided, I'm going to take on all three of them. I just need to do what I need to do. He jumped one of the girls at nine o'clock on a Saturday night, and her one friend started beating him, and her other friend ran to the nearest house for help. If that's not disgusting and heart-wrenching, I, I don't know what is. And, you know, even at this point, many of the locals would actually debate me. They'd say, Carol, we live in the suburb of a big city. This is what happens. And I said, you're living in a freaking bubble because you're talking to someone who's lived in other suburbs, you know, with this, at the level of a Manhattan beach in other states. And I can tell you, this isn't normal. Ask the people of Greenwich, Connecticut. Ask the people of Westfield, New Jersey. Ask the people of Glencoe, Illinois. This doesn't happen in their towns. We're going straight to hell. So <clears throat> another woman shortly after, probably about a year after the teenage incident, she was returning home to her home right by downtown Manhattan Beach. I mean, that's a bustling, beautiful area. On a Sunday night at nine o'clock, she was followed into her room, I mean, her home, and she was raped. 
And the rapist even told her, oh, I'm a, I'm a sexual, uh, I'm on the sex registry. <laughs> yeah, I'm on the sex registry. He was, you know, yeah, they let me out. I, I'm already on the registry. I do this all the time. Great. The police, the Manhattan Beach police then advised us that carrying mace wouldn't even help. It's not even the thing to do, by the way, and this is a lesson for everyone, because something like mace can be easily used against you. Because if you're walking with mace, a serial rapist or a criminal looks for that and they see the mace in your hand. I mean, you're surprised from behind and they grab the mace and they use it on you. So the police said, don't go that route. Instead, we want everyone carrying air horns. Yes, air horns. So here we were all walking around our million dollar homes, carrying air horns just to walk our dogs at nine o'clock on any night. Dick's Sporting Good, the local place, sold out of air horns. Okay, that's how sad it was. I started to limit the times I would go out after dark. Um, it didn't feel safe. I stopped exercising on the beach. And even going out to dinner in my car and meeting up with friends scared me. Not so much going to the dinner, but coming home. Coming home scared me because I would sit in my car and press the button like most people do. And the door goes up to my garage and you have to wait, you know, those 30 seconds. And then you pull in. And I knew those 30 seconds, anyone could be lurking at this point and follow me into my garage. So once again, I started to feel like a prisoner in my own home. And so, you know, a few years later, this is around 2019, 2020, LA supposedly spent over $3 billion, yes, $3 billion to help the homeless. Um, and at that point, the county of Los Angeles had over 70,000 homeless people living all over the streets, many of them felons that were released from prison. And I never thought in my entire life I would say that I had some empathy for felons. But hear me out, because I've talked to some of these folks. And basically, everything that was promised in these props, we're going to spend money to help these people get back on their feet. We're going to give them mental health counseling. We're going to teach them how to use computers. None of it happened. None of it. These people were let out of prison with no place to go. And many of them would say, listen, our families don't want anything to do with us and we have no place to live. So we live on the street and we go back to our survival skills. And the only thing we know is a life of crime. How sad is that? The citizens were screwed. The kids were screwed. The small businesses were screwed. And even the freaking felons were screwed by the legislation in, L in L.A. and in California. I mean, crime is increasing year after year to crime levels not seen in decades. Decades. Los Angeles has more people in poverty than any other big city in this country. And the state of California itself is the poverty capital of America. And the morning after that last horrific rape where that sex offender followed the woman into her home, the next door up was once again a flutter with chaos in action. It was 10 a.m. on a weekday. The schools were on lockdown, and SWAT teams and helicopters were engaging a house nestled amongst other multimillion-dollar homes near the school. And I'll never forget it because one fed-up neighbor, neighbor of mine posted, Oh, my God, are we officially under siege? And I just wrote back, yes, my friend, 
<laughs> yes, we are. And they still are out in L.A. And this week they had their midterms, their midterm elections for November. And while there's a little bit of hope here and there, I don't believe anything until I see it in November, the official elections. And I don't think the future looks all that promising. I, I personally think it still looks pretty bleak. The L.A. citizens and the L.A. residents, they're in an abusive relationship. That's what it is. It's an abusive relationship, but they don't really know it. Because isn't that what an abusive relationship is? It is. It's you're whipped six ways to Sunday, and then one day, if you're lucky enough, an occurrence happens or someone gets through to you and you realize, wait a second, I'm, I'm being treated terribly. I'm in an abusive relationship, and you see the light. And like any abusive relationship, you decide one day, hopefully, I'm not going to take it anymore. And you get up and you leave like I did. And I will say my final drive away, I packed up all my stuff. I remember I was driving down the 405 towards San Diego and one of my best friends, Kathy, called me and she said, oh my gosh, you're leaving. You're officially leaving after nine years. She goes, this has to be, you know, there has to be some emotion there. And I said to her, Kath, there isn't. This is the only city I have ever left where I am so glad to get out and I have zero desire to go back. Zero. I have no feeling for it whatsoever. It's never happened. And I've been to almost every one of our American cities. And in fact, I, I recently had to go back for work. And, you know, I've been living in a different area now, which is pretty darn safe for two years. I had to go back for work and I was actually very emotional. And I said to my husband, I don't want to go. Like, I don't feel safe. And I started thinking about the hotels I could stay in. I started thinking about the parking garages you have to park in and the things I've seen I saw years ago in the parking garages. It's L.A. is a dangerous, scary place. And, you know, my friends in L.A. right now would be watching this and they might be saying, oh, my gosh, Carol, you're such a drama queen. You're you're exaggerating. You're this. We still have our beach. Everything's great. But again, that is the hallmark of an abusive relationship. You don't realize you're living it until you're out of it, until you find the courage to get out of it. An abusive relationship, OK, it's intensity, constant intensity. It's manipulation. It's isolation. It's sabotage. It's guilting you into things. It's volatility. It's deflecting responsibility like the leaders do. And it's betrayal. All, check every one of those boxes for Los Angeles. I left. I live in the Southeast now. I don't have SWAT teams in my neighborhood. The only helicopters that ever fly over are actually exciting because they're from a nearby Air, Air Force base. <laughs> Um, I don't have to shield my son's eyes as we drive down a major thoroughfare from naked addicts lying all over the street. Yep. See it? There it is. This will not and will never be my son's normal. This will not be his normal. But that is L.A. And when you're in it, you don't realize how bad it is. It's psychological abuse, and at times it could be physical. I have safety now. I fled an abusive relationship. 
I have safety and it feels great. And safety is the first and foremost thing I will always vote for in any election. And I am the first one to stand up for social causes, whether it's don't tell me what to do with my body, whether it's LGBTQ rights, everything else, first one to stand up. But if you don't have law and order, you don't have civilization, you don't have safety, you have nothing. You have nothing because there's no point in fighting for social causes because you're not safe and you could be dead at any time. It's the truth. Years ago, about two years ago, I tweeted that. I said, without safety, we have nothing. And I was kind of touched when the San Bernardino um, police chief named Darren Goodman, he retweeted it because he felt it was powerful. And it's the truth. It's, it's without safety, you have nothing. That's the core of everything we should be. So if you ever want to move to California for some reason, go to where, go to where Chief Goodman is. I believe it's Upland, California, because he doesn't take crap. And um, he believes in law and order. But I, I mean, I wish LA well. I do. And I, I, I get emotional thinking about the good old days. I really do. I get emotional thinking about when I was dating my husband and we lived five blocks away from each other in beautiful Santa Monica. And I would run home from his apartment at 2 a.m. to mine and without a fear, without a fear of my safety or anything. Now that's impossible to do because of who's lying all over the streets in that part of Santa Monica. And I would have done, I would have stood up and fought and been vocal if this were any American city. If I moved to Indianapolis and watched this happen, I'd fight for Indianapolis because it's so wrong. It should not happen to any one of our beautiful cities. And shame on you, Eric Garcetti, the mayor of LA, who I nicknamed Mayor Clown Dick, by the way, because that's what he is. Garcetti? Your dad, Gil Garcetti, let off OJ years ago, and then you come along as son decades later and you destroy your own hometown. Could you imagine? I love my hometown. I wouldn't be able to look myself in the mirror or sleep at night if I was solely responsible for destroying the citizens' lives, the citizens' home values, the citizens' everything, safety, and destroying the streets of my hometown. Shame on you. And, you know, there's an old saying, it goes something like, as California goes, so does the country. I don't know if that's true. I find that sometimes it is. So let it be a fair, dire warning to everybody and to every other city, because it happens quick. It can happen quick. And you can't let it. And, you know, I left California, and, and it's the beauty of leaving L.A., is that there's a bunch of things I don't have to do. I'm gonna tell you some of them. The first one is I no longer have to sit in my car on a random weekday between the hours of two and four to keep an eye on a criminal vagrant who has plopped all of his stuff and with his erratic behavior right where all the kids are leaving our elementary school, okay? Um, that happened one day. My friend Judy tipped me off. She had to go to work and I said, you wanna know something? I'm going to go sit in my car right there and I'm going to make sure all these kids, I don't know whose kids they are because I don't have a kid in school, but I'm going to make sure they get home safe that day. And sure enough, here it is. And by the way, as I could have guessed, 
this criminal vagrant started shouting and started unzipping his pants. And at that point, I had cause to call the police. And he was finally arrested. There were no other parents there. Nobody seemed to care that their kids were walking by this. But I was there. And I'm not tooting my own horn. I'm just saying you can't be a complacent citizen no matter what city you're in. So, yes, he was finally arrested as their children drove by jogging with their high school running group. I no longer have to fight for our bus stops. Yes, look at our bus stop. Okay, so this was a bus stop around the Venice Santa Monica area that had was filled with garbage and had zombie drug addicts, needles hanging out of their arms, laying there for months. And I would drive by this and I couldn't understand. Why doesn't a bus driver say something? Why doesn't a bus driver report back to the bosses and say, we got a problem on this street? There's no care, okay? And all I kept thinking of was Mayor Garcetti giving the children of LA, all of them, free bus passes to get to school. And I'm thinking, this is where children are going to wait next to people with needles hanging out of their arms. I fought, I made phone calls, I did emails, and nothing got through until, again, the power of social media, I publicly humiliated the DOT, the Department of Transportation, who finally wrote back publicly, oh, Carol, where's this stop? We'll check it out. Okay, like they didn't know. So they go, and sure enough, within a month, the bus stop was not cleaned. The bus stop was demolished and gone. And the reason the bus stop was demolished and gone is because it was unfixable. There was so much disease and so much disgusting stuff in that little bus area in the picture I just showed you that they couldn't even keep that bus stop. So I no longer have to fight addicts who are going through my garbage in my driveway um, certain mornings. I no longer have to walk down with my baby and be like, please, I hope you're a nice addict and not one who's having hallucinations and it's going to kill me and my baby. Yeah, I no longer have to do that. Um, my biggest problem now is, uh, yeah, my biggest stress is I have a raccoon go through my garbage once in a while. And I have this tortoise, this really big turtle tortoise guy who likes to sunbathe on my driveway. That's my stress is that am I, I really don't want to run over the tortoise. Okay, so I will take the tortoise over the transients any day. I no longer have to hear from my police officer friends that the T-Mobile shop just six blocks away from me is being held up by gunpoint by a known gang member at five o'clock on a weekday. Embrace yourself, the known gangbanger holding up the T-Mobile shop brought along his seven-year-old child to help do the robbery. This is LA. I no longer have to hear that some sicko who was let out by these props went into our grocery store, our local grocery store in Manhattan Beach, and spread poison all over the produce and the seafood, just trying to kill us. Why not? I don't have to deal with that anymore. I no longer have to hear that there is a woman with a machete running through the Manhattan Beach Target um, trying to slaughter and stab a man. That, by the way, just happened last week. So, you know, life sometimes here in the Southeast can be slower. 
It's definitely a slower pace. And sometimes my husband looks at me and he says, you know, life, life is kind of a little bit boring at times. And then we both take a quick break and we look at each other and laugh and say, boring is pretty great. And our stress, our biggest stress right now is that damn tortoise on the driveway. God bless him. And we'll take it. Whatever you do, don't be LA. Thanks for watching Hollywood Sports Mom. Thanks for listening. HollywoodSportsMom.com. And we will see you next week for a special Father's Day episode with a really, really special guest. Thanks for watching. Take care.